0: of mandalorian episode 12 the siege you can find us on spotify apple podcasts and anchor Uh, and just so you know this review will be mostly spoiler content so this is your friendly warning to abort the mission if you don't want any spoilers if you just you know come on back to us after you watch the episode would be great so we could all talk about this together but joining me is my good friend john uh john how you doing
1: Chris, I'm great. I feel like it's been so long since we've talked. Uh, I, I, I just I'm so excited to get into this.
0: Yes. And this is fresh, freshly, freshly made a meal here where we haven't really divulged too much except for a couple of details. So we're going to go nitpick this episode a little bit, but we're going to start off with the, the more finer details, which uh, obviously this is the fourth episode in season two, also known as episode 12, The Siege. And this was directed by Carl Weathers. Wow, wow, wow. We get to see his debut of directing on this show. So we got to see a few of those elements. And tell me, John, what do you think about the job that uh, he did as a director with this episode?
1: I'm going to be honest, and I hope I hope that we have some sort of agreement. I don't think he did a very good job. Um, mm. It... it Okay, so the pacing felt weird um in certain places. It the the way the scenes cut together and the way that they um like they would run down a hallway but it would just show show them running down multiple segments of the hallway. There was just so much time spent on very menial things. Um it, just from a directorial standpoint, um it, it almost felt like he found a reason for the Mandalorian to leave the scene so that they could focus on his characters. Um, and I know that's not true, but it just, that's the way it, it felt to me. Um, I don't know, man, like this is probably the first time on the Mandalorian
0: series that I was disappointed. So I would agree with you that his directing wasn't really great. I do think that despite that, there were a lot of moments in this episode that were get hype, really good. Well done. Like the razor crest at the end and how it battles the TIE fighters, I think was excellent i thought it was very well done everything with the child baby yoda was fantastic really cute really funny uh all of those aspects are really good but when we focus i would agree when we focus on our moments with grief karga and cara dune i thought it kind of fell flat i really didn't enjoy the direction that he gave himself as grief karga i also didn't like the direction cara dune was given I thought her acting and even though people have come after her for acting in the season one, uh, as far as episode four, um, I thought she did a really good job job in episode seven, episode eight. But I kind of felt like she kind of took a step back and I don't think that's her fault in this episode. I think that's kind of the direction. But like I said, balance it out. A lot of bad uh, individual acting motivations. But man, some of the set pieces were really spot on for me it felt like star wars yeah and it just to be honest it felt
1: like there were a lot of moments in the in this in the show that felt like they were leading somewhere and then they just completely abandoned it or they completely misdirected so the first being um uh when they were talking about the planet itself near the site near the the base and how they kept saying like the the lava tides gonna rise it's gonna take the the speeder um, and then, the, like, no lava ended up coming up. Just the base exploded from the coolant malfa- malfunctioning. Um, I it just it, it felt like they were leaning towards some kind of like massive escape where they were trying to outrun this giant wave of lava or some kind of like environmental disaster, and that never happened. Um, and oh. <laughs> uh, the the mithral, um, I think it's how you say it. Um, the guy from the, the the series premiere episode that was frozen in carbonite. Um, every time they cut to him he was giving people dirty looks and it just it seemed to me and maybe I'm just misreading this but it seemed like he was going to betray them at some point and that he was going to yeah. um, say like his true allegiance and throw them under the bus maybe trap them in the base and he was going to escape Um, but it just felt like they kept hinting towards that and then he was fine the whole time he was on their side he was doing his job but Grief Karga gave him so much of a hard time about his life debt and the time that he had left. And it just felt like that would have been natural for him to want to get out from under that and to do anything that he could. And he would have been um, it would have been an easy way to apply pressure from the Empire on him would be to say, hey, we can get you away from this guy. You don't have to work for him the rest of your life. Just help us out with this. But it never paid off.
0: It felt so forced for me, yeah. It, it, yeah, and I think you you agree with that, it, it felt forced, the dyna- the dynamic, like you were saying, where it's like, oh, I'm gonna add more years if you don't do this or I'll take a few years off, it's like such a weird dynamic and I thought that Mithral had a great moment when they were in the hangar and they were fighting the stormtroopers and he like, he, he puts his head up and then he ducks down, goes back up and then ducks down, and then he finally fires a shot like that was a really great comedic moment, and I hoped we could have gotten that a little, little bit more because he just felt so uncomfortable the whole time. Like his shtick just didn't, it just didn't fit with Grief Cargo. Like it would have been better if he was more like a C, not a C three PO, but kind of like, oh, you know, have you ever been to like a a, a Gun Feast? This it's it's this is a little bit more diceier than that. And then they both look like it would have been nice to have the cast and crew look at him. And he'd be like, "Okay, I'll shut up." And that that kind of dynamic. Instead, it's just, it's pulling teeth with the way Grief Cargit treats him as his assistant and stuff like that. Um, it, it just it felt so awkward with the whole. We'll give you more time. I I did like when he went over to the reactor module and he's like, "There's no guardrails." Like I, there's moments of greatness and it's just there's yeah. highs and lows. And I think we talk about that with episode, episode 6 from season 1 where it's the prison heist. Where mm-hmm. there's such great highs and there's such terrible lows with that episode. And I just got the same feeling with this where it's like, man, it's so bad. And when I really, I really feel like the, the character moments with Grief Karga and Cara Dune were pretty much wasted. And uh, specifically I'll go to the moment with Cara Dune when she's talking to the new Republic pilot. And, you know, I'm like, Oh, this is a great, this is a good scene. You know, she's from Alderaan. Her family was lost. And the guy's like, my condolences. And he's like, how many people are like, did you lose some people? And she's like, I lost everyone. I'm like, this is a great moment. And the way that uh, maybe the cinematography that he goes for as a director is very eighties where it shows it has a a far away like a six foot shot uh like the camera is like six feet away or 10 feet away and then it kind of like goes farther away i would have loved to see her like kick the chair that was next to her and us get a close-up with her pounding her fist on a table and then maybe calming down like i want to see that that struggle really mean something she lost everyone she put her years into the into the into the alliance and being a shock trooper and we just get her looking at the guy, walk away and her just like, you know, playing juggle with like a piece of bread, she's throwing to a creature that there's got to be more emotional weight to that. You're right. And I think you
1: hit on something really, um, really interesting there that he directed it like an eighties movie action star would. (laughs) Yeah. And there's just, like you said, like there's no real emotional depth to, to the characters, and I, they're treating Cara Dune like I think they treated Finn in the sequel trilogy. Absolutely, and wow, what a
0: comparison.
1: There's so much, like there's so much to mine from in the depth that they could go with that character, and the things that she's seen and gone through and survived. I and mean, like her whole planet, her all of her family, all of her friends all died um, when Alderaan was was destroyed and then to go out there and, and to fight in a war for her family that she lost and to see the things that that war puts you through and then to come out like this they like you said like they don't really address it and they had so many opportunities to um but it it just felt flat and like even some of the action scenes i think could have been done in a more subtle or nuanced way but there's not really any subtlety in this episode it's very this is what it's gonna be, this is how it's shot, this is what it is. Um, what I think, I think it's, especially to come from an episode like the one right before this, where we meet um, uh, uh, what's Bo-Katan, and, and, and you have that uh, this revelation of seeing this character in live action for the first time, and you see the tight-knit um, action scene shot with those three uh, Mandalorians, and the way that they move together, and then to go to this new trio that it's so clunky And and disjointed, that it doesn't. It just feels wrong, Um, especially just the just the contrasting nature between the the last episode and this one. Um, And I know it's not very often that I say a whole lot of negative things about The Mandalorian because it is a great show. And I think that this episode, more than most in this in this season so far, is going to be one that we're going to have to look back on again once the series finale or season finale happens to gain a better perspective. Um, This seems like it was a a, like a stepping stone in a new direction, uh, but that it it was not a great, uh, well done standalone episode.
0: Yeah, that brings up a very interesting point. I don't know why I said yeah like that. It brings up a good point (laughs) of, gosh, we're going to look back at this episode for really great information that plays a part further down the line but we're not going to pay attention to like the first half of it at all what are yeah. we be focusing on the second half because that's those that's where the meat and potatoes are that's where we get the information about which i think is the coolest part which is the ending where we see moff gideon for the first time in the flesh no hologram we see him in the flesh this time we saw him in hologram first appearance last week this time we get to see him for real and he's on that ship and it's kind of, you get this really great vibe where the commander the who takes the message uh, about the about the tracking beacon, it, she feels menacing. She feels like she's a empire zealot and she goes to, to Moff Gideon, tells him what's going on. He's smug as hell. He's excited for what's about to happen because they're tracking them. They're going to surprise him. And the everything points to the Dark Trooper project, and that's why I think that the way this episode ended, besides the Cara Dune and grief carga thing at the end, like this, the way this finally ended, the the last like forty five seconds are fantastic, and just what a deep cut to mention the Dark Trooper project from Star Wars uh, Legends, and just it's, it's the stuff that makes the Empire evil it's the stuff that says this is some this is an empire that's that's chasing the boundary on obviously ethics but like on experimentation that's what we expect it's the thing that we see in in a lot of series like pokemon we genetically altered a pokemon and it's smarter than all of us and it's psychic and it kills everyone mewtwo like we've seen this in in so much culture and i i I i'm so happy they went for this deep cut. This is the best part of the of the episode. Oh, plus all the baby Yoda moments. Like he's so damn cute. Um and the Razor Crest flying moment. The, like between the Dark Trooper moment, the Canyon Chase I really enjoyed and the Razor Crest. Like those are the high those are the big highs and I think they're the biggest highs probably of season 2 and I don't know if you'll agree with that. So,
1: I will disagree on a couple of those points. I <laughs> personally it feels like they're just trying to lean into the cuteness of baby yoda rather than the significance of baby yoda and and just leaning into what the audience like it, it it's all for the audience and the viewers at this point it's not really for the story um like there's no real reason to have like a five minute scene with him interacting with another kid trying to steal his cookies like that doesn't move the story forward and to be in season two of this of this show where everything around them is propelling the story forward that just felt like we got stuck for a minute and and yeah like of course baby Yoda is is adorable and we're never going to call him the child and that's that and (laughs) yes like he's a great merchandising opportunity but that felt more like a studio note where they said "I, I need you to like get some more screen time for baby Yoda being cute um you don't might,
0: you don't like that at all i
1: at this point like it was fun in season 1 where we learned about the character and like who he was or who he is um just as like an introductory thing but at this point if you're going to lean into something i need it to propel the story forward in a more significant way and it it it's kind of worn out its welcome for me at this point like if if you have another cumulative like 20 minutes of screen time telling me how cute baby yoda is which is something that i already know it's not going to do anything for me um and and maybe i'm in the minority with that but please don't revolt against me just because i don't like baby yoda at this point in the story um the other thing i had, had an issue with was the timing of the repairs it like it was almost cheesy to the point where um, he dropped it off, like, to see the shape that the racer crest was in and how horrible it was, how he couldn't do light speed, he could barely maneuver in the thing. Um, And then in the exact amount of time that he was away and then had to fly back immediately to get Baby Yoda to go save him and help his friends, his ship was in perfect working condition and able to outmaneuver all those TIE fighters and beat them. And, like... For the story, yes, of course, it makes sense that he was able to do that. But it just—it felt cheap to me, like just
0: the timing of it all, at least. Hmm. Wow, wow. I think so. I'm not gonna destroy you for the Yoda thing, but I do think you are very much nitpicking the timing. That's Star Wars, baby. Got Jedi. You got space wizards and you know Frog Lady and all this other stuff. And you're mad at the timing for the ship being oh, I'm 100% prepared come on picky
1: yeah that's 100 percent nitpicky that's me <laughs> and
0: very i find it very rare that i am more optimistic about an episode than you but i do like this dynamic because i'm gonna i'm gonna get you on the baby yoda now i'm not gonna villainize you for saying that i understand he's cute stop making him so cute stop focusing on him being cute as i think your big message like i get yes. it propel the story if your dog was replaced with baby Yuta through season one and season two and your dog had a moment where lila was 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 howling when you were doing the spin in the air and it's really cute she's putting her paws up and then she throws up on herself you wouldn't think that's cute you wouldn't be yeah. like oh that's so adorable that's your dog doing that like come on
1: Okay. To its credit, if they just had that scene and maybe a couple little snippets of the of the cuteness at the beginning, that would have been totally fine. My biggest gripe is that they spent so long in that school. It it just felt like it put the story on pause to make a cute merchandising opportunity.
0: I I th- um, I, I would disagree. I, I would say that even though yes it's a marketing it's a marketing movement. This is he had more control of his force powers. Like he lifted a rhino and he fell, he like fell down and had to sleep for a long time. He saved Mando from giant flames. Now he's using the force willy nilly. Like he's, I feel like that's a moment of like, we get him using the force on a whim. Like that's, he's getting more understanding of his power. He wanted, he wanted space, French macaroon cookies (laughs) And he was able to use the force to get him. And he looked at the kid like, ha, I'm eating your cookies. He's understanding the power. And I totally know that might be a huge reach, but that's why that scene worked for me. I was like, Oh my God, he didn't like become exhausted and he didn't fall. It's kind of like when he healed Mando a little bit, um, with the force power. But like, it just seems he's getting used to it. You know, he didn't use the force to take the eggs out of the pod. Um, for the frog lady or anything like that. He just went up there and, like, took him out. But, like, they, this is another explicit mode of him using the force, and it just seems it's more controlled. And I, I well, like that. I like
1: that argument for it, because... And he also did use the force to draw the eggs towards him when he was looking into the
0: tank. Oh, like, I just thought the eggs wanted to go near... What, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, that's
1: because they weren't fertilized yet, so there was no life in there. It was just like eating an egg out of a, out of a carton. The cells, um, you
0: know, the cells got...
1: Oh, Eh. good point,
0: good point. It sells the eggs in its shell, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Exactly. But you you make an interesting point there of showcasing Baby Yoda's um, uh, uh, understanding and usage of the Force and being able to raise his stamina when using it. That is a great use of using the character. Um, But if you're just going to focus on something that's insignificant, like you obviously understood what i i hope that they were trying to go for with that but it they left it unclear enough to where people could misinterpret it and it, it could be seen as just like a um, oh i see yeah so that that just comes back down to the to the storytelling behind it all and maybe it was a writing thing maybe it was carl weathers maybe i don't know probably more of a writing thing and the flow of the story um but if you use it okay so Maybe I'm a little spoiled because I just finished um, the podcast, the oral history of The Office, and the big thing that Greg Daniels pushed for was using every line significantly, and that it, it couldn't just be funny and it couldn't just be tra- dramatic. They had to use every line in a dramatic and funny way, so that if they cut something, the story would still make sense. So if you if you cut that part out of out of the episode. Everything still makes sense. But if you make it integral to the story where you have a circumstance that shows baby Yoda uh, like adeptly using the force in a very tactful way or a, um, a yeah like tactile way uh, that makes sense, that shows his growth as a character, that is significant and that means something. But if you have him just as like an aside, uh, like a parenthesis in a sentence, just in a school pulling some cookies away from a dude, that doesn't explicitly do much for the story for me. And like I said, maybe I'm just in the minority there, but I feel like it's at least worth examining.
0: Well, if he doesn't eat the blue cookie, how are he gonna throw a blue when he's spinning around? <laughs> yeah, see, it's Every- all
1: connected. Everything comes back to blue liquid in Star Wars. Mind lately.
0: freak. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no Chris Angel here, but uh, I, I mean, I, I totally see your point, and I, I think you have a I think you have a good perspective for the person who doesn't know a lot about Star Wars. They're like, why are we focusing on the kid? And they don't pick up on the idea that, like, he's learning to use Force powers. Like, maybe if they had to do an assignment in this little school and they had to use, like, a a, a tablet or a pen and he's able to use the Force to get the pen. Like, that'd or... be kind of... That'd be... But but they have to use food. But it has to be maybe in a more meaningful way. It's like, if he's stuck in a situation and he uses the Force to, like get out of it that has more impact and i see the point it was like oh it's for cookies like it's not there's no point to it there's no story driven thing it's like how is this moving along i totally get your perspective on it but um or just, even if they if they took like
1: that little like console knob thing that they introduced or that they had him play within season one yeah if they showed him playing with that but like maneuvering it and flipping it around in the air with the force then that takes something we already know and applies it in a new context that shows that he is much more focused with that ability, um, and it's still fun, and it still shows how cute he is, and that he he's this adorable little thing. But it shows it in in a growth perspective.
0: He becomes the the kid that we were when we were in school when he had the little um, or the the little skateboards that we'd play with on our fingers and stuff oh, like that. Decks. Or you do the spinning your pen around, like yeah, you want decks. him to be that. <laughs> Yeah, the tech decks, well, yes, and he he wanted to do that with the little knob. I find that uh, that would be really funny. That'd be cute. Uh, yeah, exactly. No, that's is- the thing.
1: That that's the thing. Like it, it, still shows his cuteness. It still does the job, but it does so in a more relatable and meaningful way, in my eyes.
0: Yeah, but then that kind of you kind of get into that uh, X Men Michael Fassbender moving the little dots, the, the things going around in the circle. When he had three balls and he was killing people with it like bullets. You know, that's what I reminded if you have baby Yoda playing with like these things in his hand using the force, you know, he's a child. He wants he wants he wants cookies.
1: Yeah, I just and this is the last thing I'll say about this, but at at some point they're going to have to move away from the cuteness. They're going to have to make him integral to the story. He's going to have to be put in jeopardy again. And it, he can't be this cute little baby forever. Like in 50 more years, he's going to be a teenager, and he's going to have to grow up at some point. Um, so I, I I just hope that they don't get stuck in a rut of using Baby Yoda for just one color in the palette that they've established for themselves. Like they they it's like an ex Machina. Whenever they need him to use the Force like in a very significant way, he'll do it. But if they just want to have him uh like be around and be in the be in the room he has to be cute all the time and I think that's just going to get old for some people
0: well before we segue to the future let me ask you this did you enjoy the action as far as the uh tank uh speed like the the chase sequence of the tie fighters uh did you enjoy any of that or you know I know you had your gripes with the hallway scene I thought they were fine um but did did you have any issues with that canyon scene
1: No, I thought that was probably the most well, or that was, that was probably the best part of the episode.
0: Mm. Okay. Yeah. Oh, did you, what did you think about, do you agree that the, that the message that they had when they went, made it to the lab was kind of a red herring for the whole, like, oh, the dark trooper project. And it was like, oh, look, Snoke, like they might be using this for Snoke. And then we get the dark trooper project. Did you see that as a red herring or what? I mean
1: that the the whole like using uh, Baby Yoda's blood to clone force sensitive beings was kind of the impression that I got, and and maybe like a backdoor way of setting up the technology for how they um, raised uh, uh, the Emperor from the from the grave, or how they designed and made Snoke, because that would have been done around this time for the First Order to take a, take hold. And when when that uh, captain received the transmission from the engineer, she said, you will be rewarded in the new order. Um, and that kind new of- new ga- era. New era. Yeah. And, and so that kind of gave the impression of the empire has moved on. This is the next thing coming about. And we know that it's going to be the first order. So that, it, it gave me first order vibes in that sense. And you have all these zealots following around um, a, a highly trained- uh, general in moff gideon um but it i wouldn't be surprised if they lean into the cloning aspect more um which they talked about m count so obviously that's midichlorian uh so they're bringing back that from the prequels that's a thing again but i i think they did that in a better way where it's it's more about like the science behind it and less of the magic
0: i will disagree with you on the that that you're uh, saying that it's going to be for the first order, I disagree. I think it's going to continue to be the remnants of the empire because, uh, remember the them Emperor Palpatine being a thing was secret, and these are Empire zealots, and we still don't know how the first order was founded, and remember the first order didn't have like oh there's a cloning thing for the emperor and Snoke and blah 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 like, it sounds like oh. Yeah, so we're going to give you mention of how we're trying to make Snoke, but the big focus here for Moff Gideon is the Dark Trooper project. Um, and I feel like it's a thing where when she says the new era, she's definitely thinking of the, the final acts that the Emperor takes uh, for to, sol- to consolidate his power and go to Exegol. I definitely think that the First Order has to be something on its own, uh, I think this is still operating for the Empire. There's no transition. They're not... They're, like I said, she is kind of a zealot, but it's a zealot for the Empire, not the First Order. Um, because we don't get any, any, like, Snoke... Like, if they clone and make Snoke and the Empire's like, yeah, we did it. Now let's go hide it. Exegol, Snoke will make a new First Order and cause chaos, and then eventually we'll come out with the brand new Empire because he's sown chaos in the, in, the, in the galaxy. Like, that's what I get from that. Um, I don't think they're... The, the First Order is connected right now.
1: Yeah, and that's fair.
0: Sorry to to knock you down.
1: No, you're totally fine. I mean, I, I would definitely agree that I, I don't think it was like an overt saying, like, we are going to become the First Order. But it, it, it just kind of implanted that idea in my mind, or like, uh, maybe think about that, of like, moving on to the next phase beyond the Empire. But I think you make an interesting point, of these are zealots of the empire um they're not trying to go off and start their own thing like they're trying to reclaim what the empire had um so i think that that's definitely a very fair argument
0: and and that's such a and and if i'm the one who's saying that and like not to say that if someone like you who also really likes star wars doesn't necessarily pick up on that i fear for the rest of the fan base who's not super into it who just watch the movies and they're watching mando it's like you're going to be confused on how the first order came about and that once again writing and setup and having a a plan would have been really nice so that you don't get confused about that stuff and so that's it's it's like it's like um how does game of thrones do it just so well of setting things up and people like having discussions about that but people are going to miss the whole first order shit it's just so <laughs> It's disappointing for me, but, um, let's segue to the future. Uh, the next episode is titled the Jedi and it's directed by Dave Filoni. Yes. And it's also written with Dave Filoni and Dave Filoni, Dave Filoni and, uh, and, uh, Jon Favreau. So I am, I hope we see Ahsoka next episode.
1: Oh, hundred percent. We're going to see Ahsoka in the next episode because Ahsoka was Dave Filoni's creation. So there's no way he's not going to be the one to direct the episode where they introduce Ahsoka in live action.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited. Um, And we are going to, we're going to have to review two episodes when we come back because Thanksgiving is next week. So we will not be, we will not have an episode out on Friday uh so we're gonna do a double whammy so uh for the week after in the first week of december so just stay tuned um there's gonna be a lot of stuff to talk about i'm gonna be very excited and i think that's we're gonna wrap up this review uh john you got any anything you're excited for in the next episode
1: i mean ahsoka obviously but i do want to go back to you saying dave fallowy and I just imagine that it's Dave Filoni in a sundress and it makes me happy.
0: Dave Filoni <laughs> in a sundress. Yeah. And he's got a Southern twang. It's really, really cute, you know? There's, oh yeah. Yeah. You're making, uh, iced tea on the porch and, and, uh, got a big, I imagine a big sun hat as well. Maybe well, some yeah. sunglasses, you know, gonna get a marry gonna marry like the poor kid in town rather than the rich kid and you know the the Dave Filoni's only goes to this Dave Filoni is gonna be into this this person and they're gonna it's just at a summer spot and it just doesn't work out and this person writes to him all the time sending him love notes but they never reach him because the mother doesn't like it uh and then they die old together and he gets Alzheimer's and it's really sad uh yeah 100%. You know what I'm referencing? Uh, The Notebook. Yes, thank you. Man, God, I, was I was gonna. Never s- even seen that movie. <laughs> You've never seen The Notebook, and you're married. God.
1: Yeah, I was really lucky. She didn't pressure me to sing it. I tried to get her to see Iron Man one, and she fell asleep halfway through.
0: Oh, you guys um, should watch. Uh, that'd be a great. Oh, actually, no. You two in movies is very weird. So you know what? Never mind. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that comment back out of the air and be like, probably not a good idea.
1: No, that's fine she's not really a big movie person does she like the notebook though eh, she knows of it and i think appreciates it but it's not like oh my god the notebook
0: yeah well unlike the notebook uh mandalorian is huge so anyways (laughs) which is not true notebook probably bigger than mandalorian but uh anyways we will uh see you in two weeks and yeah we'll see you then guys bye bye